Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Sorry, just yawning there. A bit tired, I've been working hard. Hello, welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. This episode is all about zombies. The undead, flesh eaters, walkers, biters, the infected. Whatever you want to call them, zombies have become an indelible part of our popular culture now. There are zombies in the cinemas... Zombies on TV in shows like AMC's The Walking Dead. Zombies in computer games. Zombies online. Even zombie walks in which people in which people get together in large groups in order to dress up like zombies and walk around the place going... <sighs> We're pretty obsessed by zombies, and I am too. I love zombies and zombie films. Maybe that makes me some kind of sick and twisted individual. But I'm not alone. In fact, I think that zombies are perhaps as popular and present in our culture nowadays as vampires and ghosts. But what is some of the history behind the zombie phenomenon? Where do they come from? What do they want? The brains, I think. Um, but why are we obsessed by zombies? And how can you survive if zombies really do attack? And how do we talk about zombies in English? That's the focus of this extra special and extra creepy episode of Luke's English Podcast. This episode is in three parts. In the first part, we're going to examine the zombie as a popular cultural phenomenon. Then in the second part, I'm going to test my survival skills by taking a zombie survival quiz. You can join me as I make various decisions that will affect my chances of surviving the zombie apocalypse. In part three, we're going to consider some conditional structures. That's a bit of grammar and pronunciation. So I'll be talking about zero, first, second, third, and mixed conditionals in English, all with a zombie theme. Okay, let's get started then with uh, part one. And this is the zombie in popular culture. So zombies seem to be more popular than ever, but why? That's what I'm interested in. We have shows and films, uh, shows like, for example, The Walking Dead, which is um, a hugely popular show on TV these days. Uh, zombie films, like um, recently we had Zombieland, Shaun of the Dead, and of course Dawn of the Dead. And computer games, massively successful computer games like Left for Dead or the Resident Evil series. Let's begin at the very beginning with the origin of the word zombie. 
Where does the word zombie come from? Well, apparently the concept of the zombie has been popularly associated with the voodoo religion. I think that's where it originates. But um, in fact, it, there's a slight misconception because zombies don't really play a part in the formal or normal practices of the voodoo faith. But in Haitian folklore, a zombie is an animated corpse raised by magical means such as witchcraft. There's, there's a kind of connection to reality here with zombies and that there is a suggestion that in Haitian tradition or Haitian folklore, it's actually possible to use some kind of magic or witchcraft to actually raise the dead back to life. Um, zombies featured widely in Haitian rural folklore as dead persons physically revived by the act of, the act of necromancy of a bokor sorcerer. The bokor is a, a witch-like figure in uh, certain kinds of Haitian folklore. So in, in this version, zombies remain under the control of the bokor as their personal slaves since they have no will of their own. Some people say that zombie voodoo magic is real, but others claim that it's just a chemical or hypnotic control of a living person, causing a living person to act like a mindless slave of a bokor sorcerer. That's certainly very creepy, isn't it? And it's fascinating as a real phenomenon from a social, biological, chemical, or physiological or psychological point of view. So there is, it seems, some sense that, uh, that zombies are real. And, um, but that's, that's just the beginning, really. Let's now turn to look at the history of zombies in movies and games. Um, so there are a few books, in fact, there were a few books and films made in the sort of 1930s that used the voodoo legend to create creepy stories. This really came about after the American occupation of Haiti, um, sort of um, in the earlier part of the last century. Um, so Haiti, of course, is in the Caribbean. It's a Caribbean island, not far from the USA or uh, Florida. So in the 1930s, we had books and some, some movies that used the sort of voodoo legend to create creepy stories. But it wasn't really until uh, the book I Am Legend, which is a 1954 horror fiction novel by an American writer called Richard Matheson, which was also turned into a film. So it wasn't until that book was published, and then really principally the film Night of the Living Dead in 1968 by George A. Romero, it wasn't until that film, really, that zombies properly entered popular culture. George A. Romero's film, Night of the Living Dead, created the image of the zombie that we know today. Uh, dead people who return from the grave, the undead who come back to prey on the living and feed on their flesh. A world in chaos, the individual against masses of brainless enemies. One of the most interesting things for me about Night of the Living Dead is the subtext of the film. The hero in that movie is a, a black man in America during the, e during the era of the civil rights movement. The ending of the film, without giving away too many spoilers because you might not have seen this, but the ending is particularly relevant as we see that not only does this black American hero have to deal with the zombies, he also has to deal with the living and their prejudices against him. 
So, George A. Romero went on to make a number of other zombie films, and he really defined the genre and the whole zombie subculture, including most of the rules for zombies and the general standards uh, by which all other zombie culture is measured, really. The thing about zombie movies, really, and this is one of the more interesting things about George A. Romero's films... Um, the thing about zombie movies and zombie culture in general is that there's, there's usually some kind of subtext. It's not just about... It's not just a horror story. It's not just a scary idea of, you know, um, horrible undead people feeding on each other's brains. It's not just as simple as that. There's usually some kind of subtext. For example, a criticism of consumer culture, a comment on the horror of the uneducated masses or of the brainlessness of the population at large. For example, in his 1978 classic, Dawn of the Dead, the main characters find shelter in a large shopping mall. The zombies, too, choose to go to the mall, but only out of some distant memory of being alive. And they, the zombies come to the, they, they flock to the shopping mall and then brainlessly walk around in death, just like they brainlessly walked around the mall in life. Now, I suppose the subtext here is that consumer culture is turning us all into mindless mall zombies, unable to think for ourselves, acting like sheep, easily manipulated by marketing, branding, and the allure of materialism. So maybe we're all zombies. And we, what we have, you know, with our obsession about products and, you know, the fact that we all... You get people queuing up outside the Apple store... Um, in order to get their hands on a new Apple product. The kind of mindlessness or sort of enslavement that people have towards popular culture. Maybe there's some kind of parallel there that we see. Uh, We see something of ourselves in the zombie as well. Um, We're going to be coming back to look at some of the subtexts of zombies and zombie films in a a few minutes. Um, uh, Computer games took over from movies in the 1990s with the release of the Japanese computer game series Resident Evil, which perfectly captured the sense of lingering dread, the sudden horror, and the enjoyment of the zombie subculture. I loved playing Resident Evil, and I remember I think that my favourite one is Resident Evil 2. And I used to play this on my PlayStation. I remember when I was at university and I had lots of time to kill. I would sit around with my friends. We would sit in the dark playing Resident Evil 2. And it was a very frightening and very engrossing experience. Because you'd be typically sort of wandering around some old house or maybe some military industrial testing facility. Wandering around solving clues. Um and trying to understand the, the, the origins of this mysterious viral outbreak, whilst every now and then being suddenly attacked by a zombie or other, some other kind of mutant monster. And you have to kind of be very careful with your use of your weapons and your ammunition. You've got to use lots of strategy. And it was very exciting and full of atmosphere and really disgusting as well, you know, sort of blowing zombies' heads off with, um, like... Uh, you know, very powerful pistols and things. I mean, it's quite sick, but hugely popular series of games, which then did, of course, um, lead to a series of movies, the Resident Evil movies, with, what was her name, Milia Djokovic? Anyway, the movies were crap, but the computer games are fantastic. Then, somewhere around the millennium, around the year 2000, I think, we got Danny Boyle's film called 24 Days Later, 
which really brought back zombies into the cinemas, but with a bit of a twist. Before then, zombies had always been rather immobile, clumsy, and very slow. You know, shuffling around, not able to run, not able to move fast. Not posing a great threat. In fact, you could survive if you had, you know, a baseball bat. You could probably run through a room full of zombies because they're so slow. You know, you just avoid them, hit them over the head, and you're all right. But with the Danny Boyle film 24 Days Later, he redefined what zombies were. In fact, in that film, they weren't really zombies. They were called Infected. But really, it was a zombie film. It was about a large-scale infection which turned people into ravaging sort of... um, What was it? The the kind of rage-filled psychopaths. You know, people would die and come back to to life as just rage-filled crazy people who would then try and bite you and eat your flesh. They're basically zombies, but the difference was that they could run really fast. They were, like, really quick. And also, it was much easier to be infected. All you needed was to be exposed to the blood of one of these zombies, these infected people, and you would almost immediately be turned into a zombie. Very frightening film. Really scary and really grim. Set in England. Set in London, in fact. And there are some great scenes at the beginning of the movie where the principal character wakes up in a hospital. He doesn't realise that 24 days ago there was a zombie outbreak. And he wakes up in his hospital and he, he basically... The, the place is deserted and he walks through London and the streets are empty until he eventually comes across a group of the undead, the, the infected, and they chase after him. It's a very scary scene. And then for the rest of the film, we see how he deals with this post-apocalyptic world. Great stuff. If you like a good, you know, scary film, then you've got to check out 24 Days Later. Um, so, yeah, he brought back zombies into the cinema, I think. And, and, and at that point, they were able to run really fast. And this rebooted the zombie movie idea. And it wasn't long before we got more zombie films, including the remake of the Dawn the Dead film, complete with running zombies. Um, The genre then began to kind of eat itself and got even more postmodern with the brilliant comedy horror rom-com, or rom... uh, It was called a a zom-rom-com, because it was a romantic comedy with zombie... A romantic romantic comedy with zombies, or rom-zom-com, Uh, which was called Shaun of the Dead, another British production directed by Edgar Wright and starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. This is such a brilliant film. It's one of my favourite films, as you already know, because I've talked about it before on Luke's English Podcast. And it's so brilliant because it combined the romantic comedy genre with the zombie movie. And in the film, we follow Shaun, who's not really going anywhere in his life. In fact, he's becoming increasingly like a zombie, by not challenging himself, being lazy and unambitious and getting stuck in a routine. His girlfriend in the film dumps him and then he has to kind of grow up, realise his responsibilities, change his life and try to get her back. And while this is all happening to him, he doesn't realise that in fact London has become overrun with zombies. He ends up having to battle the zombies while also saving the girl that he loves. The film works on lots of different levels. It's quite scary. And it's really funny, and you you must see it if you haven't already done that. Shaun of the Dead is what it's called. More recently, the film Zombieland was a big hit. I think that dates back to about 2006, 2007. 
Um, Zombieland uh, is an American-made comedy featuring zombies, and it's definitely worth checking out. And now, of course, we have the massive hit TV show The Walking Dead, which is one of the most successful American shows on TV at the moment. And I like The Walking Dead. I'm, I, I'm a regular viewer of the show. I think that at its worst, it's really just a soap opera with zombies. But at its best, it's a terrifying look at the ways in which people have to survive genuine hardship. How something like a total catastrophe like a zombie outbreak, how that unites people, how it tests the courage and fortitude of people, and how it can test the limits of a person's morality. Sometimes, I, I, I find The Walking Dead to be genuinely horrific at times, and also rather moving. And at its best, it's a really great show. Let's have a look at the rules of zombies, okay? Zombie rules. Like vampires, and I did an episode about vampires back in the early days of Luke's English podcast. Um, I think it was like episode 10 or something like that. Let's have a quick look, see if I can find that episode in my archives here. I'm having a quick look in my uh, RSS feed. When did I do vampires? It was one of the early ones. Um, Hold on. Teacherluke.co.uk Let's go to the archives section of that web, that magical, wonderful website. By the way, if there ever was a zombie outbreak, you know which website you'd need to go to. Go to teacherluke.co.uk. It'll basically help you with any situation, even a zombie outbreak. Um, Because you can go there and you can check the web page for this particular episode. And you can read up on all this information I'm giving you. And then you'll know exactly what you have to do in the event of a uh, an outbreak of the undead. So um, it was episode six. That was the one I did on vampires. And if you've listened to that, you'll remember that um, I talked about vampires in a similar way to how I'm talking about zombies, their place in popular culture, um, what, what the vampire really means to us um, as a metaphor, and also the general rules that apply to vampires, like the fact that, you know, vampires can't go out in the daytime that um, you can kill a vampire by driving a a wooden stake through its heart that sort of thing similarly zombies have rules too so let's just evaluate those rules so first of all zombies are undead which means that they were dead and they've come back to life so you have to die to become a zombie all right in zombie movies usually you, you become a zombie by being bitten by one The bite kills you by infecting you with a virus, and then once you've died, you then come back as a zombie, okay? That's usually the way it works. There are some um, modifications to that. For example, in The Walking Dead, I'm not going to tell you exactly what happens in The Walking Dead there, because if you haven't seen it, then I don't want to spoil anything. But all I can say is that being bitten by a zombie is not necessarily the only way that you can become a zombie in that particular TV show. But generally the rule is that you become a zombie by being bitten by a zombie. Some other films, like for example 24 Days Later, suggest that all you need to do is to come into contact with the blood of a zombie and that's enough. Uh, But usually it's just being bitten. Um, Usually zombies are caused by some kind of virus. But the outbreak of zombies can have more mysterious origins too. Often the cause of the outbreak is somehow connected with the actions of secretive government departments. Basically, it's usually the government's fault. Um, And sometimes they've been doing medical tests or testing on animals. And then they've caused some kind of radiation leak or something like that. 
that then causes the dead to come back to life and start feeding on the living. So usually it's some institutional error or some kind of government project that went wrong. Um, I've, I've heard things like, you know, a satellite uh, an experiment called, you know, caused a satellite to crash onto the Earth's surface, causing a radiation leak, or that, um, you know, testing on monkeys uh, ended up with um, things going wrong and a zombie virus being transferred to people. Um, and uh, that sort of thing. Zombies have a taste for human flesh, but not dead flesh, although they have been known to feast on recently deceased bodies. Generally, zombies want to eat the flesh of a living person. Um, it's not entirely clear whether zombies eat animals or not. In some cases, they do. They like to feast on, you know, like a dead dog or a dead horse or something. But it seems that they prefer to, to eat humans. Um, it's also not entirely clear whether animals can become zombies. In the Resident Evil computer game, you do get zombie birds and zombie dogs and things. But normally in films and TV shows, you just focus on, uh, like, sort of human-based zombies. So zombies don't have superpowers, unlike, you know, vampires which are able to fly or disappear and things like that. Zombies don't really have superpowers, but their powers are a little bit ambiguous sometimes. For example... Do their muscles retain their full strength? Uh, pro they probably do. And other questions like, what actually causes a zombie to move? Well, we're not always sure. I think that it's an infection of the central nervous system, the brain and the central nervous system, which then causes the brain to turn and then operate the muscles, usually with one intention, to feed on the living flesh of a human. Usually the brains. It seems that zombies are particularly interested in eating a person's brains. I think it's only in certain films that they do that. You might have heard zombies going, <gasps> brains, for example. Um, how do you kill a zombie? It's pretty simple, really. You have to remove the head or destroy the brain. And that's it. Okay? So, shooting a zombie in the chest, cutting off a zombie's legs, that's not going to be enough. You need to destroy the brain or remove the head. It's all about attacking the central nervous system, specifically the brain, okay? So remember that. That's, that's extremely important. You've got to remove the head or destroy the brain. Otherwise, that zombie's not dead. It might have gone down, but it might not be dead, okay? I say dead. I mean, they're already dead, but you know what I mean. Basically, out of action. Um, it seems that zombies are quite sensitive to sound... So you've got to be very careful, you've got to be fairly quiet and careful. If you make too much noise, then you might attract attention. There might be a huge, um, uh, you know, a huge gang of zombies just around the corner, and if you make too much noise, then they're going to come around the corner. <gasps> and uh, the last thing you need is to have to deal with, like, a huge flock of zombies. No thanks. Um, so they, they, I think they can see as well. Um... But their, their eyesight might not be very good. But certainly they're very sensitive to noise. I don't know what their sense of smell is like. Um, I think that probably their senses are a bit dulled. And the hearing seems to be the most sensitive of their senses. Um, so, um, so, yeah, if going back to the point of destroying the brain or, or removing the head. If you don't do that, zombies will keep on coming. Even crawling across the floor without legs. Okay, they are obsessed with eating your brains. So you've got to make sure that, that you stop them properly. Some things that I'm not sure of about zombies include these things. Like, there, I've got some questions that I'm not sure of the answer to. How long can zombies keep going? I mean, like, if 
you keep a zombie in a room or if you tie a zombie to a tree, does it stay alive forever? I mean, you know, if it doesn't eat, does it die again? These things aren't completely clear. And I also wonder if, if a zombie just stays, if you, let's say you tie a zombie to a chair and you leave it for ages until it completely decomposes and becomes a skeleton, does that skeleton still want to eat your flesh? I suppose it, you know, it's, it's based on like the, um, whether the central nervous system is still alive. And if it eventually decomposes completely and it just disappears, then, and you're just left with a skeleton, I suppose that skeleton doesn't have like a life of its own. I think it's in the muscles and the nervous system, I suppose. Um, what about, can zombies swim? That's another question. I'd suppose that, that going into deep water doesn't cause a zombie to, to die. It doesn't stop a zombie. They can still survive even underwater, I think. Which is something to bear in mind. You know, people always say, oh, just go to an island. Well, not necessarily, because zombies could f sink to the bottom of the sea, walk along the sea you know, walk along the seabed and then climb up and then come out of the sea. You could have, like, ocean-based zombies coming out of the water invading your island paradise. So an island isn't necessarily the, the, the right solution. Um, and also questions like, is it possible to hide among zombies if you copy them? And I've seen this in a couple of films and in the TV show The Walking Dead. People sort of covering themselves in blood and acting like a zombie, walking along the street going uh, uh, and the zombies are probably thinking, oh he's not he's not a human, he's a zombie because he looks like a zombie and sounds like one so is it possible to fool a zombie? to trick one into thinking that you're a zombie too? it seems that sometimes this is possible but I'm not sure about that um, and also if you remove the jaws and the teeth of a zombie does that make them harmless? So if a zombie can't actually bite you because it's got no jaws, does that mean that it becomes harmless? You could, like, keep it as a pet or something? I don't know. I don't know the answers to those questions. There is actually a, um, a text called... I think it's called the Zombie Survival Guide. Um, and it's... Um, let me see. Um, I do have the Zombie Survival Guide. It's, it's by Max Brooks. And um, it's, it's basically a, a complete text which explains everything you need to know about the living dead um, and um, if you're interested in it then you should check it out you can probably get it on the Amazon Kindle you could you can download it as an ebook um, in fact I think it's available as a PDF on Google if you just Google zombie survival guide PDF you might be able to download it and it's uh, if you're interested in this subject which of course you are then uh, it's worth having a look on that, at that book. There's also another, another book called um, World War Z or World War Z, which of course was made into a film recently starring Brad Pitt. A very serious film about uh, the global consequences of a zombie outbreak. Um, I saw the film. I thought it was pretty good. Not the best zombie film I've seen, but still pretty dramatic and scary in places. Um, okay. So let's have a look at the zombie as a metaphor. Why is it that we're obsessed with zombies? What do zombies really represent to us? Let's have a look at some different readings of the zombie as a metaphor. So we'll start with the idea of the, 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 the disease or viral infection metaphor. So if you see the outbreak of zombies as a, a, as a, a sort of uh, metaphor for a viral outbreak, there are many parallels between the outbreak of a, a, a kind of global outbreak of a virus and the way that people and society deals with that kind of situation 
and the, the global outbreak of zombies. You see it on the news sometimes. I mean, you could draw a comparison with the Ebola situation or many of the other um, things that we've had in the past. I mean, it always it seems that there's always some kind of um, there's always some kind of global uh, drama related to a virus going on. Either it's SARS or bird flu or swine flu, foot and mouth disease, um, and now Ebola. Um, and whenever you see these things being dealt with in the news, there's always that sense of it. It's, it's pretty similar to a zombie outbreak. And so maybe we're so obsessed with zombie films because they represent actually a genuinely real threat to us. And, and we know in the back of our minds that, in fact, human civilization is not that safe and secure. And all it takes is one mutated virus, which we don't have the antibiotics to, to battle, and it could wipe out many people. In fact, it's happened in the past. Europe, um, of course, back in the sort of, what was it, 17th century, 15th, uh, 16th century, we had the bubonic plague which was a devastating plague, which was actually spread by parasites and rats. And it swept through England, killing thousands and thousands of people. It was horrible, really disgusting symptoms as well. So it's happened to us in the past. Maybe there's something innate, something inside us that naturally has a fear of the virus or the, the, the outbreak of disease. And so we're inbuilt with a, with a fear of that kind of thing. Just in the same way that we're inbuilt with a fear of monsters or spiders or snakes, maybe we also have an innate fear of the, the viral outbreak too, and that makes us fascinated by uh, zombies and zombie films. Um, so that's the disease or viral infection metaphor. There's also other metaphors too that maybe inspire some sense of fear in us. For example, the herd mentality of people in society. A herd is like a, a, a group of animals, like a group of cows could be described as a herd. Uh, when a group of cows get together, you know, they don't, they don't think individually, they think as a group. You know, you've seen it with sheep and cows. That's the herd mentality. So maybe there's a sense of the herd mentality of people in society, kind of mindless followers of religion or politics or social convention, and the way that really zombies want to annihilate individuality. The zombie really represents the sort of faceless in, um, collective mind, isn't it? And maybe that's something very frightening to us, that in the face of sort of um, global homogenized culture, we fear for our own individual individuality, you know? That's one of the, the fears of the, zomb the zombie movie, that you can imagine that um, one day all the people in your city might suddenly become mindless cannibals and they might come and get you. And all the people around you might become enemies and at any moment you might have to fight back against them. That it's like the individual versus the group. So maybe it's a sense of that. Also the idea of just the drudgery and boredom of everyday life. The fact that maybe we are the zombies. Just in our routines and our habits, maybe we've kind of become zombies ourselves. Which is similar to the idea in Shaun of the Dead, that Shaun just every day he takes the bus to work and he kind of, his life is becoming such a habit and a ritual that he feels like he's brain dead. He feels like a zombie. So maybe it's our fear that there's the zombie within, that somehow we've got zombie 
we have the, the, the zombie inside us already. Then, of course, there's the idea of consumer society and cultural imperialism, that somehow we're afraid of the influence of um, capitalism and the way we become mindless consumers, like we see in the, um, in the Dawn of the Dead film. Um, and um, what else? We've also got the idea of fear of overpopulation and the potential for catastrophe or natural disaster. So we know that the world is, is becoming more and more populous. There are more people on Earth than there have ever been before. And with the sense of climate change and other things, maybe there's the sense that globally, humankind is on the edge of catastrophe. And all it takes is just a few conditions to change and we could have massive disasters on a, on a very wide scale. And we've see, we see this all the time in the news. When there's a natural disaster in some part of the world, like a flood um, or, or um, you know, a, a forest fire or some other kind of natural catastrophe, it creates terrible um, and, you know, really awful conditions. So when you see these things on TV, it's quite easy to see it almost like a sort of zombie outbreak as well. So maybe that sense of there being so many people, in fact, too many people, and it's becoming a threat to, to general safety, that, I mean, have you ever been caught up in a large crowd? It's happened to me a few times when you go to, let's say, a, even when you go to somewhere like Oxford Street on a Saturday afternoon, there are so many people, you get trapped and squashed within all the people. It can be very frightening, and you can get that sense of like, this is too much, there are too many people, um, and it seems dangerous. You know what I mean? So maybe there's that sense that we're naturally afraid of, like, the overpopulation of the world. Um, also, the, the, the idea that we may distrust the establishment or blame the government on, on uh, our, you know, life conditions. So blaming the establishment is one of the big subtexts of zombie films. The idea that we're all at the mercy of the administration that's in charge of our country. And that often you find in zombie films that zombie outbreaks occur because the government is doing something that doesn't have our best interests at heart. Like they're doing some kind of military testing or something else that causes a huge catastrophe to occur. So maybe it's a general distrust of the government. Um, that sort of feeds into the idea of the American idea of the libertarian fantasy. Now, in the USA, there is a faction of the population that has a very strong libertarian leaning. And by libertarian, I mean the idea that people should be free from state control. So it's the, the idea that the individual should be completely free from any government intervention in their lives. And many people in the States actually fantasize about the day when uh, they might have to take up arms against the government or against militias. It's a, it's a particularly American subtext, I think. And if you go back to, for example, the date, the founding period of the United States of America, when the uh, Americans were fighting for their independence against the British, um, there was that sense that taking up arms in gangs, in, in groups of civilians or militias, taking up arms and fighting against, in this case, the colonial British, was somehow part of their identity as, an America, as Americans, that the Americans base their identity on the struggles of civilians against some sort of horde 
You know what I mean? Maybe it feeds into a sense of American identity. Also, um, the sort of founding period of the United States would have involved um, groups of civilians defending themselves maybe against the Native Americans using weapons too. And I'm sure that there are still some people in the United States who have a strong libertarian leaning who actually fantasize about the idea of there being some kind of catastrophe that would cause them to have to gang together in small groups or small militias and take up arms to defend their freedom. I think it's almost a fantasy, like an American fantasy. And I think, in fact, I'm sure, I'm convinced that there are people in America who are waiting for the zombie apocalypse to occur. And if not the zombie apocalypse, some other kind of, um, some other kind of battle, maybe against uh, a police state or, or a foreign invasion. There are certainly American people who watch The Walking Dead and who are actually waiting for that to happen. And they're ready, they've got their guns, they've got their ammunition, and they've got their supplies They've, they've even prepared some kind of safe house um, to protect themselves in. I'm sure that it feeds into a sense of American libertarianism or even paranoia. Um, so there's that also that general back-to-basics fantasy. The idea that these days the modern world is very complicated. We're bound up with all sorts of complicated issues and technology. And maybe some people fantasize about just basically going back to a much more simple time when people had to defend themselves. They had to go out and find food. um, And it was just a lawlessness, which could be very attractive. Um, Picture the idea of you waking up in a city where suddenly all the rules have changed and everyone else in the city has become a mindless drone and you're the only one with a brain and it means that you become the king of the city in a way you get to loot any shop that you want to and you can like you know get take any car that you want go and go into people's homes and take their guns and weapons and supplies there is something attractive about this idea don't you think also, the, just the idea of the post-apocalyptic fantasy, which um, is, is a very common theme in films these days. Um, have you ever, have you ever fantasised about what you would do in a zombie apocalypse? To be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, I have. Every now and then I think about, hmm, what would happen if, there were, if the zombies attacked now? What would I do? Where would I go? How would I defend myself? In fact, I remember a while ago, I was, I was in my school... I was in the classroom, there were no students around, no one around, it was just me, I was preparing one of my lessons, and I was a bit bored, and I leant back in my chair, and I thought, what would I do if suddenly there was a zombie outbreak now, and I was stuck in this classroom, how would I defend myself, what would I do? And I, I, at that point, I looked around the room, and I thought, well, what, what in here could be a good weapon? And I actually started looking through some cupboards and I was like, oh, board pens, no, they're not going to be very useful. Um, I was looking through scissors. Well, maybe a pair of scissors could be useful to like stab a zombie in the head and kill it if I had to. I opened up another cupboard and there was a hammer. You know, a hammer with a wooden handle and a heavy metal head. You use it to put nails into walls. There was a hammer lying there and I actually got excited. I was like, oh, wow, a hammer. Brilliant. This is the perfect weapon. Weirdly, I got excited about this little zombie fantasy, and I was I was quite pleased to discover that to discover the hammer. And I thought I'm going to be all right. I've got a hammer. Um, 
we're now going to move on to part two of this episode. And here we're going to focus on zombie survival. What can you do to survive the zombie apocalypse? Now, before we go through a zombie survival quiz, we're going to have a look at a few general rules that you should follow if the zombies attack. Okay? Now, these rules come from a film which I've already mentioned called Zombieland. In the film Zombieland, you follow a guy who has learnt to survive the zombie apocalypse. And he's, he's, he's learnt, he's created a list of 32 very important rules. And if you want to survive the zombie apolo- apocalypse, you must um, follow these rules. So let's have, um, let's have a look through the rules, okay? So just here's a bit of advice. If the zombie apocalypse de- ever does happen, here are some basic rules that you should follow. 32 rules of zombie survival. Rule number one is cardio. That means you've got to work on your cardiovascular fitness, Because if you are fit, if you're able to run a long distance, that's going to help you survive. If you're fat, if you're overweight, if you're unhealthy, if you can't run, if you've got no stamina, that means that um, basically you're not going to be able to run away from zombies. There might be a time when you have to run and run and run and keep running until you've run away. So you need to get your cardio. You need to work on your cardio, cardiovascular fitness. Okay, stamina, make sure the heart is in good condition, make sure you've got sort of, you know, good um, stamina in your, in your muscles. Rule number two is beware of bathrooms. Okay, any good apocalyptic zombie survivor should know better than going into a bathroom or a small closet or any other small room with only one way in or out. You know that if you go into a bathroom, don't relax because there's probably a zombie in, hiding in the shower. If you go into a back room, just pay attention there's probably a zombie in the cupboard okay so beware of bathrooms beware of little rooms and cupboards and things rule number three seat belts put your seat belt on okay it's a safe bet unless you're a complete idiot that you're not going to travel on foot when there's a zombie outbreak you're going to find a car or vehicle or something so when you're traveling on four wheels wear your seat belt there's nothing worse than finding yourself ejected out of your car through the windscreen and into the loving and oh so hungry arms of a zombie so wear your seat belt it's safety first okay rule number four double tap double tap that means bang bang don't just shoot once you've got to shoot twice double tap Carrying a gun is a great idea, but it should never be your primary weapon. When you do end up using your gun for that last minute, oh shit, moment, remember to double tap. If you are attacked by zombies, why skimp on ammunition? One bullet more in the head will go a long way to ensuring your survival. So two bullets in the head just to be safe, okay? Rule number five, no attachments. This is a tough one, but you... you you cannot have attachments. If you have kids or a wife, you're much less likely to survive than the guy or girl who has no attachments and nothing slowing him or her down. It's tragic, isn't it? It's really tragic. You're better on your own in a zombie apocalypse. Maybe this is why zombie apocalypses appeal to the sort of geek, the loner, because it's a fantasy world in which you have to survive on your own. So if you're naturally a loner, it's perfect, isn't it? If you... If you are antisocial. If you see the rest of the world as a sort of um, like a, a problem for you, if you see socialising as difficult, then naturally you're going to find it somehow pleasing to fantasise that the rest of the world are all zombies, and it's you versus the world. Okay. Uh, rule number six: travel in a group. 
Alright, I thought we just said no attachments. Anyway, travel in a group. The best way to increase your odds of survival when travelling in a zombie outbreak is to make sure that you're a travelling buffet. Going it alone gives the zombies no choices but to eat you. Going it with the old man... <laughs> going it with the old man with the limp, the little kid who can't run, and the middle-aged woman with the bum leg gives the, gives the zombies more options and gives you better odds. It's a bit like the idea of why fish gather together in, in groups. If you're a fish on your own and a shark comes along, that shark will eat you. If you're in a group of 100 fish, then the odds of you being eaten are reduced a lot more. Rule number seven, keep the morons close at hand. Morons, of course, means idiots. One of the most surefire ways of making sure you survive is keeping the less intelligent as close at hand as possible. When you find somebody who asks you, hey, what's going on? What happens? Those are the ones you want to be with. Okay? That way, when the zombies come, they're likely to, to be stupid and uh, not to realise what's going, going on. They're the ones who are going to get eaten, not you. Hang around with idiots. Okay? Rule number eight, kill with efficiency. Okay? It's not about being pretty. It's about being efficient. A lot of folks run for the gun cabinet, but the only, only the truly savvy, the truly clever, go looking for the most blunt and effective way to destroy the brain. Sometimes you don't need to use the gun. Save your ammunition. Use a baseball bat. Okay? Um, so it could be a baseball bat. It could be a toilet lid. Whatever you need to do, kill with efficiency. Don't use weapons that need something else, like bullets. Use weapons that you can swing over and over and over again. Okay? So a baseball bat. I think the best weapon is probably a samurai sword. It's very simple. Um, you can use it to spike through the head. You can use it to chop the head off. It's, I think it's probably the best weapon, the, 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 the samurai sword. It's very long. You can use it to kill zombies at a bit of distance. And it's freaking cool, isn't it? A, a, a samurai sword. I mean, I almost want the zombie apocalypse to happen just so that I can go around like some kind of awesome samurai. Rule number nine is guns are for hunting, not for zombie killing. This one is simple, okay? Guns need bullets. And when you're running, who has time to stop for bullets? Keeping a shotgun with buckshot on hand is important, but only when you're pinned in and you need a quick getaway. It's not a proper means for killing zombies as guns run out, run out of ammo and they need to be reloaded. Remember, a cricket bat, a toilet lid, or a baseball bat, or a samurai sword don't need to be loaded. Yes. Rule number 10, be quiet. Okay. It's the end of the world. So try not to make too much noise. Okay. Maybe get a, a couple of, get a good pair of trainers, some sneakers. Nobody said that you have to kill all the zombies. And there's certainly no shame in sneaking around, being stealthy, and surviving versus tearing around like a noisy madman and ending up in some undead happy meal, okay? So you've got to be quiet. Be quiet, be stealthy, like a ninja. I think probably the ninja is the ideal person to survive a, a zombie apocalypse, don't you think? They're silent, they don't need weapons other than their sword, their katana. Okay, I think the ninja is probably the one who's going who's gonna to survive. Which is good for listeners to Luke's English Podcast, because as you know, you're all ninjas, aren't you? You're my LAP ninjas. Luke's English Podcast ninja squadron. Uh, rule 15, know your way out. 
Okay, you've got to know where the exit is. There's nothing worse than a poorly planned escape. If you're going to be a hero, it's always a good idea to plan ahead and as the rule states, know your way out. Rule number 16 is disappeared. I don't know where rule number 16 is, so we're going to jump forward to... I'm sure that rule number 16 wasn't very important. Never mind. It's not like it's a matter of life or death any or anything, is it? Oh, actually it is. Rule number 17, don't be a hero. Okay? Maybe the hot chick who, who, uh, who wants to give you some sugar is not worth being eaten alive. Don't risk it all for pride. Okay? Don't be a hero. When the going gets tough... Um, it's time to run. In the land of the zombies, there's no making a stand and no point in ending up like a brave zombie. It's better to be a coward and to be alive. Rule number 18, limber up. Limber up, that means stretch. Do a few stretches, warm yourself up. When you're fighting a zombie or running from zombies, it's not a great time to be pulling a muscle or putting your back out. Oh, my back! Oh, hold on a minute, zombie. Yeah, sorry, I just need... Oh, my back. Anyway, okay, let's go. So you've got to limber up, get yourself physically prepared. Okay, stretch out a little. It might save your life. Rule number 19, out of a list of 32. I think this is going to end up being two episodes of the podcast somehow. I think it is. Rule number 19, blend in. Okay, much like Sean in Shaun of the Dead, it's important to blend in. When was the last time you saw a zombie try to eat another zombie? It's not easily done, but with the right odour and the smearing of some body fluids on your face, it can happen. You might be able to blend in with the other zombies. Rule number 20, fight, uh, rule number 20 find the right shelter. Okay, Shelter is the key to survival, but you should ask yourself, why does the shelter need to be a house or a building? For me, a motorhome or a large all-terrain vehicle that seats a half dozen would probably do nicely. Imagine a big truck, a big motor home. It could be okay. Plus, when zombies arrive in your neighbourhood, there's no last-minute scramble to pack up and leave. Just put it in drive, put your foot down and go. It's quite interesting, the idea of where is the best place to, to hide from zombies. In The Walking Dead, they end up in a prison, which is ironic. They end up being prisoners of the zombie outbreak. But the prison is quite good because not only does a prison keep people in, it also keeps the zombies out. Uh, maybe a castle... I think that's where I would go. I'd try and find a castle, like some old medieval castle somewhere in England. And, you know, that would be perfect, wouldn't it? It's the per- if, if a castle was good enough to keep out um, armies in the past, then it's, it would be perfect for zombies. Inside the castle, you can grow your own food. Okay, you can like have, have horses and cattle and sheep and stuff. You can have your own little community inside the castle. And then you've got battlements on the top, which you can use to keep an eye on what's going on around you. There are holes where you can fire arrows out at the zombies. There might even be a moat, like a trench outside the castle, which fills with water, which you could use as a defense mechanism. The castle, I think, is probably the best idea. Um, Let's see, where are we now? Rule number 21. Zombies can't climb. Okay? Which, you know, they can't climb up the walls of a castle, for example. Much like you have never seen a zombie eat another zombie, when's the last time you saw a zombie climb up a wall? Well, actually, in that film World War Z, World War Z with Brad Pitt, the zombies do climb up a wall. Because what happens is all the zombies, like, climb on top of each other and they create a big pile of zombies and they end up going all the way over the top of a wall. Oh, God. Well, anyway... Um, so, 
Zombies can't climb, so get to high ground when you're not moving. All right. Top of a mountain, maybe? Okay. Switzerland. Go to Switzerland. Find a castle in Switzerland. Rule number 22. Be ruthless. Okay? No time for sympathy. No time for feelings. You've got to be like James Bond. Kill if it's... Kill if it's necessary? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessary ever to kill another person. Anyway, be ruthless. Much like the rule of having no attachments, being ruthless is key. When your bride turns into the undead, reach for the lid of the toilet and be ruthless. Smash her head in. (laughs) Smash her head in. Uh, The weak and compassionate will not survive in the world of the undead. Oh, it's sad, isn't it? It's it's really sad. It's it's awful. But this is the zombie apocalypse. You've just got to toughen up, man up or woman up, if that's possible. Be ruthless. Rule number 23. God bless rednecks. Rednecks? You mean those idiots in, like, the Midwest of America or the South of America? Well, gee... It's the zombie apocalypse, I'll be dang. That kind of guy. Rednicks are stereotyped as loud, brash, well-armed, and ready to kick ass. So when a redneck shows up in your group, I say it's the best news yet. Sure, rednecks can attract zombies with their gunplay and their brash carrying on, but they're also well-armed, and they've got big balls, okay? So best of all, they're good bait for you, because they're idiots, aren't they? It's a good chance for you to just use them as your bait while you make your exit. Uh, and then while the rednecks are busy with the gunplay, you're there, make, uh, you can escape, okay? All right. Rule number 24, no drinking. This one should be pretty obvious. Escaping zombies is tough enough as it is how well... Right, escaping zombies is tough enough as it is... So how well do you think you'll do after downing a couple of shots of Jack Daniels? Okay, drinking is not a good survival tactic when the zombie apocalypse arrives. What else? Rule number 31, check the back seat, for goodness goodness sake. Check the back seat. I can't tell you how many times somebody has met their end, or in this case been eaten by zombies, because they're just not smart enough to check the back seat of a car. Always check the back seat, my friends. Always. So when you find that amazing car, like a 4x4 or something, and you smash the window or you just open the door and you think, oh, brilliant, we've got a truck. Amazing. Don't forget to check the back seat. There could be a zombie in there. And then rule number 32, enjoy the little things. It's the end of the world. So don't sweat the small stuff. Loot a neighborhood or two. Trash a car. Do some speeding. Run a few red lights. Do the little things and enjoy them. You don't know how long you have to live. You might as well enjoy the time that you've got. Okay. That was a list of, well, in fact, 31 bits of advice for surviving the zombie apocalypse. What I'm going to do now is um, take a zombie survival quiz. And then when I've done that, it's time to look at some some language, isn't it? We're going to look at a bit of grammar. We're going to study conditionals um, with the examples of uh, zombies. So using zombie-based examples. Okay? All right. Good. How are you doing? You okay? You getting scared? Don't get scared. It's not going to help you survive the apocalypse. You've got to get tough. Okay? Good. Keep listening to part two. There's going to be more um, vital information for you in order to help you survive the zombie apocalypse. And who knows, when it does happen, maybe what we can do is all the, all the ninjas who listen to Luke's English podcast around the world, we can fight against zombies and win... And then 
somehow meet each other in that castle. A castle in Scotland, maybe. That's where we could meet. And then we could create a new society. It's our chance for a new beginning. The new society, the cult of Luke's English Podcast Ninjas, or whatever you want to call yourselves. I think uh, I think that's what, clearly that's what we would do. It would be our chance to start again. Okay, thanks very much for listening to, I guess, what is part one of this double zombie episode. Um, and uh, stay tuned for part two, which is coming soon. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.